four weeks on the Sabbath. And so one of the things I wanted to do, but time is going to be limited, is simply to get feedback on what you think, when, what pops into your brain when you think of the word or hear the word Sabbath. It's the day for soccer. <laughs> more and more so, isn't it? I know. <laughs> what else? Hebrew. So it's something of the Hebrew. Okay. Rest. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So there's something to do on the Sabbath. Okay. You think of the church. That's pretty wonderful. The pastor, you think of the pastor. Prayer. Prayer. Oh. For breaking the rules on the Sabbath. Oh, dear. Yes, remember Jesus got scolded. Good, good word, scolded. The religious leaders scolded him for healing on the Sabbath. What else? The word Sabbath. I think of it as an old-fashioned word. Makes you feel guilty for doing things. Ah, other than resting, yeah. Well, okay, we're resting when we're watching pro football. And you've been to church already, yeah. So is there some sense that we can get Sabbath finished by coming to church? I mean, there's, yeah, you like that idea, because then you can get back to work, right? Yeah. Um, ah, mystery, what, what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath? Yeah, if, if you've been to Israel and been there on a Friday night, um, you know and you notice, if you're in Jerusalem, that is, you notice that Sabbath has a real beginning. It's a marked time and a real ending. It begins with prayer, it ends with prayer. Um, and it is a time, you know, in between where life is lived differently. Yeah. For a while, after we got back from, from Israel every Saturday night, I was lighting a candle to remind myself how quickly things like that just kind of, I need to start that up again. All right. Do we really have to wait till 20 after? I know it's supposed to start a quarter after, but okay. Well then, um, let's, let me set this in context, okay? We'll pray, and then let me set this in context. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is your day, the Sabbath day. And yes, I am working, Lord. But we have gathered as your people. And as your people, we seek always to be faithful, uh, to trust you to lead us and guide us onward. So as we contemplate this thing we call Sabbath, this quaint, old-fashioned, and yet revolutionary concept. 
be with us. Open us to new understandings, and not only new understanding, Lord, but open us up to new practice. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I want to I want to put this into a context real quickly before we even really begin. This is about Sabbath. Our 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 lives are really marked as people of faith. Our lives are marked by two seasons. Sabbath rest and work. Um that's how people in the scriptures understood life. That's how we're called to understand life. They have no real understanding, in scripture anyway, of this thing we would call leisure. So that's something we're going to have to kind of take into context as, as, as we proceed. But we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be talking here about Sabbath. But in your order of worship today, there will be a, a little handout, and you might have already seen some posters around the church, on Friday the 7th, that evening, and then Saturday, April 8th, um, we're going to have a retreat here at the church. I'm leading this, this one as well, and it's on work. Not work like your employment work, you know? Many of you in the room are retired. Does that mean you don't work? Does that mean you have no work, no purpose? Um, so we're going to, you know, talk about Sabbath these four weeks, and then we're going to talk about work. And the idea is to kind of crown it all with an understanding of, of what are we doing with God or beside God or for God um, in these two kind of major weekly, the cycle we go through of rest and work. Um, how do we offer to God both our season of Sabbath and our season of work? So more on that later, but... Um, if, if, if you think about it and, you, and you're able, I would encourage you to, to think about joining us for that. Um, even as I'm preparing for it, I'm utterly amazed at the, the material out there um, and, and the, the thinking that's been put into it by theologians and pastors. Um, a subject of work, which we typically just set aside from our faith life. That's what we do Monday to Friday. Uh, and yet there's so much into it um, that we can, we can make into it. Um, okay, so, Lord of the Sabbath, four weeks of this. Um, we were, some of you showed up here a little bit behind. We were just talking earlier about what comes to our mind when we hear or say the word Sabbath. Um, it's, a, it's a word we don't use a lot anymore, at least in our culture. Um, it's, it's, as I said, it's kind of a quaint word. I started using it much more intentionally when I moved to Natchez. And I do remember, in fact, when I came here and I began using it, that several people kind of went, huh? So um, in many ways, it it may be even a a new thought for the congregation. We we don't typically tend to think in terms of Sabbath anymore. Um, If we think of it at all, it's not a good thing. It's a blue law kind of thing. And um, it's just not something that we as Christians really need to participate in anymore. All of the images we hold of Sabbath typically are pretty negative. You don't dance on Sunday, you don't play cards, you don't go to the movies, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. 
So easier to just kind of do away with it. And um, why is that moving? Move. All right. Um, in one sense, I'm giving you the answer before we even start. Um, what is Sabbath? Because we, when we think of it, like I said, it's that quaint thing. It's something that the Bible talks about. It's for the Jews, really. It's for the Jews. It's not for us. Um, and yet, um, I love this quote, when taken seriously in, in faith by Jews and derivatively by Christians, in other words, we get it through our, our Jewish roots, Sabbath keeping is a way of making a statement of particular identity amid a larger public identity of maintaining and enacting a counter-identity that, ra- that refuses mainstream identity that itself entails anti-human practice and the worship of anti-human gods. That's a mouthful. But look at it for a minute, will you? Read it a couple times to yourself. Sabbath-keeping is a way of making a statement of particular identity amid a larger public identity of maintaining and enacting a counter-identity that refuses mainstream identity that itself entails anti-human practice and the worship of anti-human gods. (laughs) It's a mouthful. Sabbath-keeping is a bodily act of testimony to alternative values and resistance to pervading values and the assumption behind those values. So this easy little thing we talk about as Sabbath, we're going to be considering from a slightly different perspective. Sabbath, we're going to think of um, as that which is revolutionary. Countercultural. We're going to be thinking of it in terms of um, an act or a way of living life that challenges the culture we are in. Not as a legalism, which is, like I said, how most of us tend to think of these things, but as protest. Uh, as a way of telling others that the world out there has got it wrong in so many ways. Um, This is, the Sabbath keeping is an act of resistance. It is an act of protest in our day and age. Uh, And and to, to, to do it, to to be intentional about it means that by the very fact of attempting all of this, uh, by its very fact, you doing it, sets you against your culture. You cannot do Sabbath um, and feel comfortable in culture. You certainly cannot do Sabbath and feel comfortable in our culture. And we'll play, we'll play with that. You'll, you'll begin to see why I'm saying all this stuff. But yes, Jerry. I kind of enjoy being the underdog now. 
You enjoy being the underdog now, huh? Well, good. <laughs> well, that's good. You may not exactly like the way we're supposed to kick butt, but <laughs> we'll see. Now I'm afraid it's going to be a little more than that. We have some reading to do. So the Bibles are on the tables, or at least on most of the tables. Um, and in one sense, I hate doing this because it, it's, you know, it soaks up time and, and everything, but it is the scripture, you know, and it's rather important. So I'm going to ask us to go ahead and turn to Exodus 1. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with what, the book of Exodus, book of Exodus um, is about Exodus. It's about um, God um, taking the reins, so to speak, of the people of Israel, who would become a people known as Israel, and leading them from one place to another. Um, and as we read these stories, certain things begin to make themselves apparent, known, so to speak. So we need to spend some time here. Um, so is there somebody who would read Exodus 1, 1 through 14? Anyone game? Thank you, Catherine's willing. Or Somebody else? Oh, there's a mic. That's intimidating. I know. Okay. We, at least we got two people to read now. All right. So Exodus 1, 1 through 14. Okay. <clears throat> These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Nephtali, God, and Asher. <laughs> okay, um, the total number of people born, in ja- born to Jacob was 70. Joseph, w- Joseph w- was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our, em- our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters mask- task over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built su- supply cities, Pithom and Ram- Ramesses, for Pharaoh. Um, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians came, became ruthless in, in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that were imposed on them. Okay, so what we have here is regime, regime change. Um, one pharaoh dies, another takes charge. Um, the new pharaoh did not know Joseph. Most of us, I hope, are f- somewhat familiar with this story. Um, Joseph, the one who could interpret dreams. 
who saves Egypt uh, and Pharaoh and all the people because of his foresight. Um, however, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph dies. Uh, a new Pharaoh comes to be. And he interprets life a little differently, not knowing Joseph. Um, so we begin to see the life of the Israelites beginning to change. Anyone willing to read 2, 23 to 25? Who's game? And then, by the way, we're going to need somebody to read 21 to 7 and 24, 1 to 7. So start looking ahead. All right, I will read it. 2, 23 to 25. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, out of the slavery their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. And I got the wrong page. Notice, in the, or is that the end of it? Isn't it? God took the took notice of them. Period. Um. So Pharaoh is a hard taskmaster. God notices their. Uh, calamity, uh, he looks upon them, and then what? Who would read Exodus 7, 3, 7 to 12? Go ahead, thank you. Oh. oh, over here. Oh, all right, thank you. Good morning. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. New Pharaoh... God sees their chaos and crisis, sends a leader to save them. The next many chapters are about plagues and all that good stuff, and we get to chapter 12. Who would read this rather long passage, 1 to 18? Come on, gang. Oh, way over here. All right. The Lord. This is it for a while, by the way, so. All right. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are determined, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. 
The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as the festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> New Pharaoh sees the suffering of the people, calls a leader, plans escape, institutes the Passover. From here we know what happens, don't we? They make their escape, they cross through the sea, Pharaoh and his armies are drowned. Um, the people of Israel wander for 40 years uh, in the desert. So, if we look at this story, um, we've got to ask, what is it, what, what's going on at, at, at what level here? Particularly, a character that, that we, we tend to give very short shift to is Pharaoh. The question is critically important as to why he does what he does for us. May not, may not seem terribly important to you right now, but why does Pharaoh do what he does? Why does he... Um, why does he worry? Why is he fearing what the Pharaoh before him did not fear? Yeah. He's afraid. He's... Yeah. Or soon could be outnumbered by this other people. Um, there are several lines in the in the readings that we we read. The uh, Exodus one nine, he said to his people, "Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly shrewdly with them." 
or they will increase and in the event of war join our enemies <clears throat> and fight against us and escape to the land. <clears throat> um, and then if you go down to 14b, they were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed upon them. If you go to that second reading, Exodus 3, um, we now see Moses' response, which is, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites to Egypt? I don't have the skills. I don't have the talents. I don't have the history. I don't have uh, experience in any of this. Come on, why are you picking me? Um, The point being that in so much of life, what drives us is anxiety, worry, fear. Um, We live lives that are not sure of what is going to be before us in this day or the next day or whenever. Um, So this creates angst, doesn't it? Worry. We are a worrying people. And of course, the more you have, the more you worry. And I think it's fairly safe to say that as a country, we are a country of incredible angst. Um, If I'd been really smart, I would have gone into psychology. I, I really would have. That's where the money's to be made. So let's look back. Let's look back for a moment at what um, what the people of Israel would have seen now looking back at Pharaoh. They're now in the wilderness, and yes, there's groaning and there's complaining, and let's just let that be what it is. You know, change is hard. But as they look back at, at Pharaoh, just several things kind of pop out at me anyway. Um... Pharaoh, they would have known that Pharaoh regarded himself as a god. Pharaohs did that kind of thing. Um, He had absolute authority. And yet at the same time, even with absolute authority, even as a god, there is this insatiable need that he has. As people of Israel look back, they could they could see that their socioeconomic structure was like that of a pyramid. Uh, And they're at the very bottom, and they get nothing. And Pharaoh, of course, is at the very peak of that pyramid. All the resources are flowing upward um, to the fewer, the fewer, and finally to the one. Um... They could also remember, I think, as I, as I look at this, um, that he created a culture of angst. He created a culture of want and need. Um, when famine was coming into the land, what did he need to do? He needed to store up more and more and more and more. When it looked like they may be outnumbered by the Jews, by the slaves themselves, what did he do? Laid harder and harder tasks on them, made life more miserable for them. Ultimately, 
what happens. When this is taken to its extreme, sometime later in history, little babies get killed. That's what happens. So Pharaoh is functioning out of this, this anxious presence, this anxiety that doesn't seem to have a limit. He will crush people in order to find some type of peace. Um, the dreams are a sign of this anxiety. Here he controls the Nile River and he's worried about famine, drought. Kind of interesting. Um, they would remember, I think, that they were at the bottom and that their time was spent in work. And when you're at the bottom, you kind of scrounge for yourself. You do what you have to do to survive. Um, To the point where even when you're on your way to freedom, liberty, you begin to grouse because there's a new way here and you don't have what you now think of as comfortable ways of being. There was meat in our pot, is a a quote. Um, And yet they had no liberty at all. Uh, That we can become comfortable in this place of of submission, um, even if we're being exploited. So it's, as the people are looking back, can they see that this world that they're living in or had lived in, can they see the dynamics of what's happening and how people are treated, how people are living, and how they're doing it differently? Okay, Pharaoh's at one level of that pyramid. Others are at the extreme other end. I think as they look back, even scripture begins to tell us that they could see this this anxious presence, this anxious way of being that was not healthy for anybody. It always creates a us-them mentality. So they're in the wilderness. They're by Mount Sinai at this point, and something happens. What happens? I don't know that we need to read these, um, but what happens? Somebody tell the story. Yeah. Right? But Moses was gone for a little while. Oh, sorry. I'm so loud. I'm not used to it. Um, the, Moses was gone for a little while. The Israelites started getting nervous. They melted down all their gold, created a golden calf, and started praying to the golden calf. Moses comes down. And he's pretty upset because he's like, guys, we've been through a lot here. Can't believe you don't remember all this. Breaks the stone tablets and has to go back up on the mountain to get another set. Right? Did I miss anything? No, not really. You've done done good. Who um, Who can find the Ten Commandments in the scripture? Exodus 21. We need to read them. 
20. Who would read? Over here. Very good. Thank you. Then, Scott, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your, covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you, and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Ten Commandments. We've heard them gazillions of times, haven't we? Um, They start out, and you're thinking the people of Israel are hearing these Ten Commandments. And they start off a lot like something rather familiar to them. They start out with a call for total loyalty. That's a lot like Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God, demanded complete loyalty, complete obedience. But then something really amazing happens in the Ten Commandments. It moves from being a code... um, that calls for dependency and severe obedience, and it it morphs into a neighborhood code. How we treat our neighbor. 
how we live as a people in, in peace and justice. Um, for the Israelites, this would have seemed incredibly bizarre, strange. This would have been good news to them compared to the good news we speak of when we speak of Jesus Christ. Because their whole life had been one of servitude to one who you could never satisfy, who lived in such anxiety that he always wanted more and needed more and demanded more. Now, there is this covenant, and it it speaks six times of how we are to interact with family and neighbors. So you have the, the three, I'll call them loyalty codes, and then you have six, how do you treat your neighbors? And right in the middle of it all, what do you have? What gets the most airtime? Yeah, the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. Could someone read that one, those phrases again one more time? Go ahead. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that it is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Okay. So, there's a seventh day, and there is in this time a work stoppage. There's to be no work. Why? Why? God said so. Let's see if we can go a little deeper. Why would God say so? Okay, so because God did it, we should do it. He created everything in six days. Is that where you're headed? Yeah. 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 Okay. It's healthy for us to take a break. Working horses and not letting them rest on the seventh day. Right. He made it holy. But the question becomes why? I mean, if God is going to do something, God's going to have a purpose behind it. Why does he want this day to be holy? To worship? Okay. To think about him. Okay. What else? Any other thoughts? 
Yeah. Good. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Just be. I went backwards. Work stops for a time. People are invited to awareness that life does not consist of frantic productivity and consumption that reduces everyone else to competitor, or threat and competitor. And as the work stoppage permits a waning of anxiety, so energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. Loyalty to God, Sabbath rest, neighbor. How we're, we're quick to always keep jumping back up to those first three commandments when we talk about Sabbath. And that, that's good and that's right, by the way. In our day and age, we, we ought to be also looking for some other message for us that lay within those Ten Commandments. Why six commandments about how we relate to each other? Because when you're living in a competitive, frantic work production, you don't give a rip about your neighbor. You are living a life of anxiety one-upsmanship. You're climbing the ladder. And when that happens, neighborliness dies. You become secluded. The idea that this God, Yahweh, would give us a way to be with our neighbors is radical in this day and age. And it's becoming radical in our own day and age. We strive, we strive, we work, we work, we make sure our kids have everything they can possibly have, even if it turns out to be absolutely terrible for them. Because they have to have it. And all it really does is create division. It's all it did in Egypt. It's what it does. So the invitation to a Sabbath rest is more than just about giving God the glory. It's there. But for 
so much of our life in God, God keeps pointing us back to each other. Practice mercy, practice compassion, walk humbly with your God. The Ten Commandments force us to look at how we are dealing with one another. And the Sabbath forces us to act differently. That's why I'm saying it is a radically different way of looking at life than the world out there. We closed all of our stores on Sundays. Why? So people go to church. Nobody else had to work either. Okay? I think those are the right answers in one sense. The real reason I'm going to suggest is that because God said so. And it was pretty much a legalism. In fact, all your answers are right. That was the intent behind it all. But it just became another rule. Um, to, rat- to understand the purpose of Sabbath is, is to break away from all of the stuff that culture would put on us and say, these are your priorities. Even the religious ones. This is God's order. You shouldn't do anything on today, so we're closing you down. And instead, to look at neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's a nurse. I'm Yeah. I said today in the prayer, I have to, you know, it's a Sabbath day, Lord, but I got to work. Um, Jeannie's a nurse. She's working. Um she took an oath too. That's right, she did. Um, did you have a comment to that, or? Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, it does come from a Judaic Christian culture. culture, yeah, which is interesting. They're doing it better than Christian cultures, perhaps. Um, yeah, I, I work Sunday, so people tell me my day off is Thursday. I get Thursdays off. Thursday is my Sabbath. Um, in, in fairness uh, to you, I don't do it very well. 
I'm working at it harder and harder, more and more, and have been over the last several years, but I don't do Sabbath very well. I'm stuck in this production thing, like most of us are. Free time is not really good. I've got to be doing something with it. Um, and that something usually doesn't involve my neighbor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My question would be, could it be that the purpose of, of the neighbors being so, was to build everything in us, to, to let us possibly mingle with people that are not exactly like us? Yeah, <laughs> it could well be just that. Um, how do we know our neighbor in this kind of world? In this kind of world, which is the world we live in, folks, how does one get to know one's neighbor? What lens do you see your neighbor through? Yeah. If it, it's so simple. Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm John. What do you do, Dave? I'm defined by what I do. Even Judge back there. How long have you been to retire, Jack? How long? <laughs> Point made, number one. And yet, most of the time, when I'm out with you in public, people know, and everybody knows, Jack, people know him as judge. It's your identity. That's a good identity. I'm not, I'm not knocking the identity. <laughs> We're known by what we do, what we produce, what we, what we make what our product or what our production value is is the value given to us sabbath calls that into question sabbath says no you don't need constant production um i'm going to skip that one that's basically the um so i want to switch questions quickly and then we'll come back to that issue because the the question somebody already asked when, when I asked why the Sabbath, we said because God said so. In other words, we revert to law. It's an ordinance. But why? Yeah. But God wanted us to rest that day so our bodies I, I take my Thursdays off. I didn't say I don't take my Thursdays off. If you're sick. But... <laughs> But taking a day off and keeping Sabbath are two different things. And we'll be getting into that in the week, but in the weeks to come. Um, somebody had their hand up. Yeah.
yeah, it's a sign of grace. It's perhaps the sign of grace. Because in, I'm just going to go back. In this world, we're not terribly graceful. It's not about grace. It's not even about you. It's about how much you produce. Grace is all about me. It speaks of my value, something other than as a producer who lives in this anxiety because that's the world we live in. Um, the basis for this is, of course, God. So we go back to Genesis. God took the seventh day off, right? That's what God did. Um, is that what that quote was? Hang on here. Our God is different than the God of Pharaoh. Our God does things differently. Um, no, that wasn't the quote. But the question remains, why? So, did you... Right, right. And that's what I'm trying to push against to some degree. How does one praise God? How does God remember? Or how do we remember God's grace? Um, is it by not dancing on Sunday? Or not playing cards? I'm going to suggest it has something to do with the other six commandments. It has something to do with building and enjoying the community that we have together. Mm -hmm. And who is to enjoy the Sabbath? This is kind of critical, especially in our day and age. Who's to enjoy the Sabbath? Who's got, the, who's got it handy? Um, yeah, it is here. Hang on, let me go back to it. Um, you shall not do any work. Your sons, your daughters shall not do any work. Your male and female slaves, no work. Your livestock, no work. The alien resident in your towns. The Mexicans, folks. <laughs> the Mexicans, not to be doing work. Nobody. It's not just for you. It's for all creation. Even the animals. Even the animals get a break. Everybody. All of creation, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's rest as your creator rested and make sure your neighbor rests too. It says something about all of creation. Everybody 
Take a chill. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember how you were intended to live as a people, not as a person. Um, So God takes a day off. And what does God do with the day off, by the way? Huh? Rest. Yeah, okay. But really, what does God do on the day off? Yeah. Make walks around making sure we're resting. No, he doesn't. Yeah, and, it, and what's interesting about that is God honored the Sabbath in two different ways uh, on that dark Friday, Saturday, and Easter day. He honored the Jewish Sabbath uh, by Jesus resting. <laughs> Jesus was dead. Jesus didn't get up and do work. He was dead. And then he rose Jesus on our Sabbath. What we understand to be the Sabbath day now is the day he was resurrected, which means he got what? He got new life. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was given new life. He was resurrected from the dead. Interesting thought. Interesting insight. What did God do when he rested? The one thing we know he did not do, and I keep using he, sorry about that, but the one thing we know God did not do was worry about creation. God didn't go around making sure the trees were growing. He had created a system, the trees would grow, the waters would flow, the mountains would rise, the valleys would be lowered, humankind would tend to themselves and their needs. He didn't worry. He wasn't anxious about anything. There's no story of them saying, oh, but about two o'clock he noticed that there was a little problem at the plant and had to go fix it. The system was what the system was and is. And it's meant to take care of us. We don't have to be manufacturing machines seven days a week. On the contrary, we have one day a week to remember who we are and whose we are. And to practice how it is we're supposed to live together. Thus, you're going to get this Incredible passage from Matthew. (coughs) To a people, can't read it? Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, neither... They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Interesting phrase there, isn't it? Thinking of Pharaoh. Uh, And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? 
And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? We live anxious lives seven days a week. Isn't there one day we could have a day to simply trust that God is going to provide everything we need? Where we can look out after the need of our neighbor instead of ourselves. Right. Well, isn't that just a huge waste of time? Uh, I thought it was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about following the rules of a Sabbath. No dancing, no cards, no movies. But even by virtue of the Ten Commandments, we are pushed in this day of rest to pay attention to each other, to care for one another. To let go of all the, pardon me, crap of the work week. And remember again who and whose we are. And that today is a radical thing. Isn't it? You just put me in a panic, you know. You just put me in a panic. Because I realize my phone is in my office. My phone is my tether to everything, 24-7 work. Thanks a lot. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, I got that, yeah. 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 We don't do it anymore. And, and it's not just because it's a nice thought. It's a nice thing to visit with neighbors. It basically helps define who we are when we do that. Because we're not really likely to look out for the good of a neighbor if we don't know them. You know? Okay. There, that's it for today. I've got to run. Um, these are outlines of the slides if anybody cares. Um, I would appreciate y'all taking one of these. Um, this is comparative cultures, so to speak. Under Pharaoh, under God, Ten Commandments, new people, and then under our world today. Where do we succeed and where do we fail? Give it some thought. I'm not suggesting that culture is all bad and terrible and miserable and rotten. It's not. But 
It's kind of like creation itself, where God says, you shall come this far. Actually, it's in Job, where God says, in, in the creation of things, God says, the, the water shall come this far, and you shall go no further. That's what's happening in the Sabbath. Work, you may come this far, but you may go no further. There are other things to pay attention to. And unless we are paying attention to those other things, which are family, friends, neighbors, the needy, the alone, the sick, the dying, the jailed, you got it. Unless we're paying attention to them, we are not who we are intended to be. We're just cogs in a machine. Let's pray. Gracious God, I give you thanks for keen insight and questions and thoughts and comments, things that get us to think about life in a, in a different way, through a different lens. So bless this time that we've had together. Bless us now as many of us worship, move into worship to praise and help us to comprehend again the great love you have for us that you would call us uh, not only your children but give us a life worthy of the gospel itself. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, more.